I was definitely not just practicing how to say ontologically and irrepressibly. <laughs> it seems like you practiced well. <laughs> Thank you. All Bella, right. What if I told you you got one of those words wrong? And I won't tell you what. <laughs> I would kick you under the <laughs> desk. <laughs> I'm like, actually, Ashley, it's ontologically. So you're welcome. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast brought to you by the irrepressibly young, defiantly hip, and ontologically lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I'm ready. I'm what time ready. is it? Yeah. That's like a morning hello. I know. Well, it's, it feels like morning with these bright lights. Yeah, <laughs> true, it true, does. True. It does. We're in, our, we're in our new studio, and so mm-hmm. the Still lights are... Still getting used to it. Yep. Yeah. Um, what are we drinking in this new studio? Is that? I, would, I will pass this to Olga, because oh, yeah. she's joining us. Dry January is over. It's officially Woo! over, you guys. Evil, cursed month. I'm I kidding. I know. No, no, no. <laughs> I totally enjoyed it. I love doing the dry January. But I'm excited to be drinking Pinot Grigio with you guys. And it's from Venice, and it's really, really delicious. Yeah. And no, we realized we hadn't had wine yet, because... I'm not a wine person. Zach's not a wine person. Hey, whoa, well, speak for yourself. I like okay. wine. <laughs> but we, we haven't really had a lot of yeah, wine. I, I know. Think, but Maybe this we... is Olga's favorite drink, <laughs> mm-hmm. correct? It is. So you guys have welcomed me back into drinking on yes. show. So cheers. cheers. You're also eating meat again, right? Yes, I am. What was your first meal? My first meal, um, a burger and fries. Nice. And my system was not happy about it. I was <laughs> Like super a classy s- burger or? No, no, no. Like a McDonald's burger. <laughs> there we go. I went straight to McDonald's because that... Zach Davis has taught me well. I actually went and got a Big Mac and then kept it at my desk. And Zach kept turning around and telling me, like, thanks Super for... Super rude. It smelled so good. <laughs> so, yeah, like a classy girl, I got McDonald's. So Nice. Uh, and who are we talking to this week, Olga? Today we're talking with Christine Emba, who is an op-ed columnist at the Washington Post. And I know you're very excited that we're talking with her, right, Ashley? Yeah, no, she's wonderful. I mean, one, I'm from the D.C. area, mm-hmm. so the Washington Post is like my paper, and I don't really get this whole New York Times thing we've got going on here. <laughs> this whole New York Times thing. <laughs> um, I've read Christine uh, consistently mm-hmm. since she came on to the op-ed team about a year ago, and she always just has like a very nuanced take mm-hmm. on you know hot button issues like race and sex and immigration yeah um and that's that's kind of a rarity in the mm-hmm. op-ed world where like you kind of are expected to have a very hot take and like take a strong position that's gonna maybe it's not what you actually believe but mm-hmm. it'll get clicks also she has some really great stuff to say about being catholic and understanding uh being an op-ed writer as a vocation and, mm-hmm. and, and a ministry even um so which i thought was really interesting Yeah. But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. And first, the Vatican is going to the Olympics. So wait, what sport are they they in, Ashley? (laughs) Except not really. Um, I know know how excited you are about the Winter Games, (laughs) Zach, but can you imagine how exciting it would be to attend the International Olympic Committee session meetings before the Games? No, I can't. Sounds super boring. <laughs> well, for the first time in history, the Vatican gets to go to these pre-Olympic sessions. I'm not exactly sure what they do at these sessions, mm-hmm. but the Vatican gets to go this year. And it's in South Korea, um, in Pyeongchang. Uh, there's a lot of news about the fact that North Korea and South Korea are both going to be at the Games at this t- time of great tension. Actually, it sounds like you are doing 
what uh, is my pet peeve in that every American likes to do is Wait, pretend. Zach, what is your pet peeve? No one cares about the Olympics. Everyone loves to pretend they care about the Olympics. No one actually, watch, no one really watches them. They might watch like one or two ceremonies like when Michael Phelps was good. Yeah, And, and I so, feel like people don't even really know when it's an Olympic no, That's actually like an American-centric way to see it. Like <laughs> countries where they're like small countries and this is like their like the one Vatican. time on the big stage. They care about the Olympics. Like, I if don't think that's Eritrea true. If you're from Eritrea and your runner is about to win, you're very excited. Are they? Are you? I bet they are. I, I bet not. <laughs> but all right. You, but I would be excited if there were cardinals or seminarians from Vatican City State. If the Vatican were in, yeah, I'd probably be watch for him. once and then pretend like I care. <laughs> all right. What's next, Zach? So there's uh, news out of Germany, and it's pretty unclear right now, but we thought this would be interesting to our audience. And so recording Wednesday, as of now, Cardinal Marx, who is one of the, who is the top bishop in Germany, uh, gave a radio interview where he may or may not have endorsed some type of blessing ceremony for uh, gay couples. A lot of people were very excited about this. As you, you might know, like that would not happen in the Catholic Church, at, at least officially. Um a lot of people see it as sort of undermining the Catholic teaching on marriage uh, in sexuality. Um, other people look at it as a way of engaging pastorally with these people in a, it, without uh, marrying them in the church. And so um, it's caused a lot of uh consternation among people um did he say it what did he say there's a transcript out it's unclear if it matches the original audio um so we're still reporting on that now but stay tuned you might already know the answer by friday yeah what's next olga so we've been following the pope francis handling of the sexual abuse allegations in chile for some time now um and this week on february 5th the associated press reported that the pope was actually given a detailed letter from or from a survivor almost three years ago which contradicts what he's claims he's made in the past where he says he has seen no actual evidence yeah. um, and people are very upset about this you know last week we talked about him sending Sekluna to investigate and to actually meet with these victims um, and now this is really disheartening for a lot of people because they're just really really disappointed in Pope Francis right now and it seems kind of tone deaf yeah no well and there's just like all the silence from the communications office which is mm -hmm. really problematic um because they've lost the benefit of the doubt. I think right. they enjoy the benefit of the doubt on a lot of issues. And, you know, most people give Pope Francis a pass on just basically everything. Whether mm -hmm. Or his fans do. Yeah, his fans <laughs> yeah. do. But news as of today, it looks like uh, the top prosecutor who Pope Francis sent is mm -hmm. actually changing his plans based after uh, the Associated Reports reported on this letter that you were talking about. Olga. So now he's going to New York uh, to uh, meet person to person with uh some of the uh abuse victims oh before was it just going to be like phone calls yeah it was going to be like via skype or via, oh, via wow. phone calls okay. so okay i hope i mean reporting is maybe changing the way that this investigation is going to happen mm -hmm. maybe this means yeah. it'll be more transparent we have to wait and see okay so what's next ashley okay so i'm gonna try to explain vatican china relations and then Zach can tell me what I have wrong. Great. He's the expert. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that really makes me happy, Ashley. Thank you. He's smiling from ear to ear right now, listeners. <laughs> okay. So there was reporting that seems like there might be a breakthrough coming on China-Vatican relations. 
1951, uh, China kicked out the papal nuncio in China when Mm -hmm. the communist uh, government came to power. Um, And since then, there's been the official state-sanctioned church in China and an underground or unregistered church of people who don't uh, have the approval of the government and report to Rome. So far, so good? Yes. I think both sort of report to, I mean, both are connected to Rome. Okay. And one one falls under the Chinese Patriotic Association, Association yeah. and one doesn't. Okay. So in recent years, you know, Rome doesn't want to have this situation where there's a division. So they're trying to find some sort of solution to these two parallel churches that I guess sometimes cross over. Um, and well, big, it's one, ch- one, church. one so church. They're both Catholic, but both they're Catholic. these two communities. Okay, two communities. Um, and the big sticking point has been what to do about the bishops because there are, some, there are seven bishops that um, Rome does not recognize that the Patriotic Association does. Um, and so the big news this week is that there seems to be some sort of uh, agreement between China and the Vatican where... Uh, Rome will recognize these seven bishops, three of which have been excommunicated because Mm -hmm. they became bishops without the sanction of Rome. Um, And in doing so, they're going to have to push two Rome-approved bishops into retirement to make room for the Chinese-approved bishops. Yes. Is that all correct? One into retirement who is in his approaching his 90s. Okay. And then another would step aside and become a coadjutor bishop. Okay. Some people are upset about this, including... uh, Cardinal Joseph Zen, who is the former bishop of Hong Kong, who is very skeptical of any kind of appeasement or negotiation with the Chinese government. He says by going into negotiation or by reaching an agreement like this, you are kind of giving up on the underground Catholics who have suffered greatly for their fidelity to Rome. So, Zach, why should people care about this? Because that's what I find myself asking, because I feel like the church in this part of the world it feels so far removed from me. So why should Catholics in like America care about this? No, it's true. And on one level, you're, you should just care as a Catholic about uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the Catholic, who are in your church. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's part of the mystical teaching of the church is that they are, you know, we're united in the Eucharist. Um, but also this is sort of a historic moment for China because there, right now, there is a, a huge religious revival going on in China. Um, uh, basically, as China's developed economically, there's uh, people have got more stuff, uh, more more things, but they're not necessarily feeling fulfilled. Um, and so there's this renewed interest um, in spirituality. And even from the government side, which is officially atheist, there's sort of like a recognition that religion can make mm-hmm. you a moral person and a good citizen, and it can be a, a good thing for society. Not not just an opiate for the masses. Right. Not just an opiate for the masses. Um, that's what football's for. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned there's sort of this renewal happening. How many how much of the population in China is is Catholic? So it's hard to tell. There's um, because of the split between the unregistered community and the official uh, state recognized community. Mm-hmm. Um, estimates go anywhere from 10 to 13 million. Um, which objectively is a, a, a lot of people, but in a country of 1.3 billion, a very small percentage. Do the quote unquote illicit bishops recognize the authority of the Pope? So this is the other thing. Yeah, I think there's a, 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 mis- a misconception that these guys are just like communist cadre spies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really true. They obviously 
accepted uh, Episcopal ordination without a papal mandate. And for that reason, you know, they were excommunicated. But that's sort of a legalistic thing, not necessarily a moral or uh, indication of any type of feeling. It's It's a sin, obviously identified by the church, but also important to note that they've asked the Pope for pardon and welcome back into. So that's another area of reconciliation is reconciling these bishops to Rome. Um, they've asked for it. Um, should they or should they not be welcomed is a question we've asked a lot in the church. Mm-hmm. The church usually errs toward welcoming people back who ask for reconciliation. Right, right. So listeners, if you want to learn more about the state of the church in China, we've got some really great resources. We've got our Vatican correspondent, Jerry O'Connell's article and Zach Davis's own documentary from the time he spent reporting out there. And you can check out our show notes for more of that. What's next, Olga? So you guys, next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. But it's also Valentine's Day. Which one have you been planning for? (laughs) Honestly, because it's my first Valentine's where I'm actually in a relationship in quite some time. I've been more excited about Lent for like much longer than I've been excited about this holiday. So I'm looking forward to Ash Wednesday. Is that weird? Wait, no? I thought you were going to say that you were excited about Valentine's Day because it's your first Valentine's Day in a relationship. Oh, yeah, yeah. Never mind. That's what I meant to say, Enoch. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. Yeah, I thought that's what you meant, Olga. Um, yeah, totally. Thank you for saving me, Ashley. But this raised um, the question. Do I have to fast on the day still? Well, yes. No chocolate. Yeah. So a lot of uh, sort of a lot of archdioceses across the country are reminding people that we're Catholics first. So if you want to celebrate Valentine's Day, you can do that the day before. But we st- should still celebrate Ash Wednesday the way we always do. It's a day where we repent and it's very solemn. And that should be our priority, guys. And I'm like, why are you going to ruin Mardi Gras by putting Valentine's Day on? <laughs> <laughs> so that's true. Yeah. Well, the question is, are people going to walk into the new Fifty Shades of Grey movie with ashes on their forehead? Wait, oh is it? Is it always comes out on Valentine's Day? <laughs> Oh, wow. I, I want to set up know a, that. I like want to set up a camera. Yeah. Like, <laughs> only in people's foreheads. Like <laughs> not that I suggest the Catholics watch that kind of thing. I'm sure no one no, no one knows. Never. <laughs> um But have, have you thought about what you're giving up? Uh no. We actually have a special Lent episode coming up next week. <gasps> uh when someone will tell us what we're giving up. Ooh. So listeners, stay tuned for that. Joining us today via Skype is Christine Emba. She is an op-ed columnist at the Washington Post, where she writes on issues like religion, politics, and sex. Welcome to Jesuitical, Christine. Thanks for having me. Do you bring up all these things at the dinner table, or is it just your day job? (laughs) Yeah, those are like the topics that I try to avoid at Thanksgiving with my family. (laughs) Um, Actually, yes, and it's kind of a problem for me. (laughs) I tend to try to write about things that I personally am interested in anyways, and then like finding an excuse for myself to research them and make my thoughts public. Mm -hmm. Um, So often, yeah, these are questions and conversations that I've been having. Like one of the pieces that I published recently on sex actually was just a conversation that I had had with a colleague at the Post Mm -hmm. about cat person and the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. and like that sort of thing. And we just transcribed our conversation and published it. Um, But I often find myself like at parties, cornering guys and asking them their opinion of the Me Too movement, <laughs> or being like, "So, like Elon Musk, what?" Do you feel? 
I do read your uh, op-eds consistently, and one of the ones that stood out was the one in response to the Me Too movement, Let's Rethink Sex. Um, and I have to say, like, this is actually my favorite line that's, like, been written about the Me Too movement when you said the that sex train has already left the fornication station. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I included it and was like, they're definitely going to cut this out. <laughs> they didn't. That's the best feeling when they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to, like, slide this absurd joke in here and hope that it's <laughs> so good. Um, but no, I, I feel like this piece does, like, uh, showcase what I love about your writing is that it, it isn't it is not just a hot take. It's like, OK, like, let's step back and rethink this. Like, what are the assumptions that are leading to these, like, overreactions and reactions against the overreactions? Um, so for our listeners, Christine, could you tell us a little bit about your thesis in this piece? Sure. Um, so I wrote this piece, Let's Rethink Sex, um, at the end of November, which was right after the Charlie Rose news broke. Seems okay. like such an innocent time now. <laughs> yeah. Way back in November. It feels, it feels like years ago. Um, and I tried to kind of get to the bottom of what was sort of the underlying assumptions that we as a society are making about sex that have kind of got us um, to this problem in the first place. And so I thought sort of about two main ones. Um, first of all, is the one that the assumption that I, I feel like I see where we've somehow decided that sex um, is freedom and sex being free to have it and have as much as you want is like the highest good in life. You know, like Conan the Barbarian, like what is good in life? <laughs> to have the sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so people, I mean, if that, and if that's the most important thing in your life or in life, then it kind of makes sense to go out of your way to pursue it aggressively, you know, as far as you can kind of go in a legal manner. And mm -hmm. our only boundary is consent, which is, like pretty gameable when you think about it in terms of like power roles and money and how all this stuff sure. works. Um, so if you have that mindset, it makes it very easy to like cross boundaries um, and do inappropriate things in your pursuit of sex. And then underlying that too is um, the idea that sex is like kind of whatever. Mm -hmm. um, like it's not necessarily an important thing. Um, there's like no need to like get to know your partner um, or like value them as much as you would value yourself um, and care about their, like your partner's flourishing. Um, so there's like a kind of commoditization of the other two that also feeds into this mindset that makes it then really easy to use and take advantage of other people in pursuit of your private good of sex. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that was kind of a lot. Um, and I'm not sure I fit all of that in into the column, but it's a thesis that I'm still sort of working out with fear and trembling um, every time I talk to someone at a party. I think we're at a time, and the Me Too movement has brought us to this period where everyone is suddenly like really overwhelmed and at how much of the sex is bad, apparently, and how what we sort of thought was normal and like we thought we had a shared understanding of what the sexual revolution did and what things were supposed to look like. And it's really not working for anyone, apparently. <laughs> Right. Um, and so I think people are a little bit more open to considering points of view that they wouldn't have necessarily considered before. Um, and I mean, also, I think I like I'm not necessarily, as I said, like that sex train has left the fornication station. <laughs> like, I'm not like, you know, going to women and being like, ah, oh, never have sex again mm -hmm. unless you're in the marital bed. Because like, I don't think that most people will probably go back and do that. But there is an alternative to 
what has gotten us into this weird and terrible place. Mm -hmm. And it's time to start looking for it. And I think everyone can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Well, it also sounds like it sounds like a very uh, crypto Catholic way of thinking about sexual morality. Uh, Did anyone (laughs) accuse you of that? Um, Yes. (laughs) And... They were correct. (laughs) Um, I'm Catholic. um, And I think that Catholic thinking and theology has a lot to say um, about the way that we live our lives and a lot to say to um, our sexual mores and how how we act affects us and other people. Um, So that, I think, definitely influenced the writing of this piece. Um, But I don't know. I don't talk about Catholicism specifically, really, in my writing very Mm -hmm. often. Although I think if you, like, follow me on Twitter and, like, Mm -hmm. sort of see who I interact with and what I talk about, you can kind of tell that I'm Catholic. Well, that's what we Um, were trying to figure out. We're like, so do you think she is? (laughs) Is there there a Catholic coup happening at the... uh... It's the deep deep state, but it's Catholic. (laughs) So, Christine, how how do you consider your vocation as an op-ed writer? Um, I actually had cause to think about that, um, the specific question of vocation a lot over this summer um, around the whole Charlottesville kerfuffle. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I end up writing... Like I said, I tend to write about things that I'm thinking about and that are important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and often a lot of those subjects are like really fraught. <laughs> so like I'm writing about race mm-hmm. or I'm writing about gender or I'm writing about immigration. Both of my parents are immigrants um, or social welfare, stuff like that. Um, and sometimes it's like really a pain and a sort of like, I don't want to have to do this. Mm-hmm. Like when Charlottesville is happening, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Um, I've like spent a lot of time in Charlottesville. I have friends who live there and it was like, I like, do I have to like, as I'm feeling traumatized in this moment, like Mm -hmm. write a column explaining to white people, why not to be racist against me? Like, do I, do I have to write this piece explaining my worth Mm -hmm. to the world? Like, I don't want to do that. It's a painful thing to do, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like I, I can do it. Like Mm -hmm. I am in a position to do it. Um, I'm allowed to do that. Like, I think sometimes I'm pretty good at doing that. And if, if it's my vocation to write and explain things and like help to educate people or change their minds for the better, then like, that's what I'm called to do. And so when it's hard to do, like in times like that, or like Trump's S whole comment that like infuriated me and was like yeah. basically mm-hmm. a direct insult to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, right. I don't, Somebody has to explain this. Yeah, yeah. And I can I can totally relate to that. I I whenever I've had to cover race or any comments that are made about immigrants or even I did a reported piece on the Me Too movement and there was a point when I was listening to all these accounts of everything these victims had been through and I was just like I don't want to write this. Like I don't want to have to detail this on paper and have to share this with the world and try to be objective when I'm like angry and feeling for these people. Um, but then afterwards, one of the um, one of the people I quoted reached out to me. I was like, thank you so much for listening and for like sharing this with the America audience. And I was like, OK, this is why I do it. Like, even if it's hard in those moments, like you need you need to do it, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Right, right. That I like I think that's kind of vocation, right? Mm-hmm. What you're called to do, what uses your talents best. Um, how you serve. Right. So that and instructing the ignorant is a uh, spiritual work of mercy. <laughs> so <laughs> please instruct me. I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's a, what's a successful, uh, 
piece for you? How do you, how do you measure flourishing in your own vocation? Um, our team is actually pretty great in that, like, obviously the opinion section, the paper as a whole, like cares about readership numbers and how many people click on your links. Um, but we're all still really interested in like making good arguments and having good ideas. I kind of dislike always writing about Trump and like the worst first, worst, latest, last thing that Trump did. Sometimes mm-hmm. my pieces are not like always going viral on the internet. Um, but I find it really satisfying when somebody like tweets at me and is like, oh, I shared your piece um, on my Facebook wall. And I had like a really interesting conversation with people that made me rethink something, mm. um, which actually happened to me with my last column about the mm. census um, and how people of all races were being asked their origins. Um, or when somebody, yeah, it's like, thank you for telling me about this. Like, I didn't know that this was happening or like, oh, I'd never really considered this question this way. So thanks for that. Um, and to me, I, I think that's more valuable but obviously it's really hard to not be like, Ooh, how many retweets do I have? Right. I try to keep it in balance. <laughs> yeah. All right, Christine, thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, we've got one final question for you. If you could canonize anyone living or dead Catholic or non-Catholic, who would it be and why? If I could canonize anyone, mm-hmm. it can be your mom. <laughs> I, no, that's what I was you got to stop giving people that out. <laughs> No, but okay. Well, I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to take that out because I also, I think that it's, um, it's not implausible. Um, so my parents are both from Nigeria. Um, my mother is, um, from Nigeria. Many of her friends actually call her mother, Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) Teresa. Um, she's just like really kind and is always helping people, Mm -hmm. um, and supporting people and going out of her way to do that and had, I mean, moving to a different country when you're like sort of young and rebuilding like a life for yourself and your family mm-hmm. after um, the Biafran war was like this big civil war in Nigeria that was not great for anyone. And she left after that. Um, yeah. I, and still like is pushing forward always and like doing good things for other people. So. All right. Okay. So St. Teresa. <laughs> Or the person at Amazon one. who packages all of my um, haichu sour actions. <laughs> I value that as a work of mercy. <laughs> uh, Feeding the good. hungry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, Christine, thanks so much. Where Thank can you. people find your work? Um, I'm always in the Washington Post opinion section, but you should also follow me on Twitter. And it's just my name, Christine Emba. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Um, and if you add me on Snapchat, I'll probably accept. Oh, okay. <laughs> totally doing that. Great. <laughs> Thanks awesome. so much, Christine. Thank you so much. Thank Have a good one. Bye. Bye. All right. Now it's time for some listener feedback. And this week we are announcing the winners of the book content. Or- yeah, it was raffle? a book, book giveaway. Yeah. So last week, our guest was Jordan Denary Duffner, and she wrote the book Finding Jesus Among Muslims. And we gave away two copies, and the winners are Lucy Smith and Andy Stolk. So congrats, guys. Yeah. Yes. And they won that by by leaving us a review on iTunes. Apple so, Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, <laughs> of course. Yes. So, yeah, so, so please do that. It really, really helps people find us. And it really helps you win stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yep. But not this week if you're not Lucy or Andy. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Should we do some consolations and desolations? Let's we do should. it. What's yours, Zach? This is the part of our. Do we have to oh, say the right. part of our show? Or? Are you trying to steal my job? I was. It's <laughs> like uh, the, the part of our the show. Part of our show. <laughs> the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? So this requires just uh, just a little backstory, but uh, and it's that uh, Amanda, my girlfriend, and I are taking salsa lessons. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley's impressed. <laughs> That was her snort. Um, I'm a terrible dancer. Um, That's not true. So I'm like good at cool uncle dancing. Yeah. <laughs> cool uncle at the wedding dancing. Yeah. I'm all over that. But like stuff that requires technical no. skill. Yeah. I'm horrible. Directions. Yeah. Rhythm. Rules. Yeah. Rhythm. <laughs> I'm very, very, I'm not great. And so I, for Christmas, I got us these lessons, got us, her, because I think she's pretty good. So she doesn't need them, but I think it's bad for her if she has to be with me dancing um and so we're there and we're in the studio and i also don't like going to group classes or any type of fitness thing but i was in this room full of people who were all super vulnerable mm-hmm. also super bad at dancing um and there was i i was in that moment like i want this to be my consolation i don't know why but looking back on it in prayer i was like everyone in that room being vulnerable, being willing to accept new things. That's exactly how God comes to us. And that's when God comes to us is when we're vulnerable. So even you could feel that in the air too. And so that is my consolation this week is feeling God's presence in the vulnerability. I can't wait to see you dance also, by the way. I can't wait either. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ashley, what do you got? I also have a consolation. Um, Last week I was reading through our emails from our listeners, which we do read them all and we love Mm -hmm. them all. So I just want to put that out there. Um, And we got one from a listener named Christian who works in fundraising at a Catholic seminary in Indiana. And he was asking about um, millennial giving, like millennials are, you know, surveys show they're charitable, but they're not really giving to the church. And I was like about to like write back and be like, oh, I totally give to the church. But like, I only give like when I have cash in my pocket. Stick that dollar in the basket, (laughs) pass it on by. Which is very rare. And for like four years, I've been, I've been thinking, okay, I'm just going to sign up for green giving at my parish. So like every week I automatically give $5. And this- Does that mean it like comes out of your bank account? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it, it took this nudge from a listener, but like I, I literally couldn't bring myself to answer his email until I signed up for Green Giving. <laughs> um, and so I did that. I signed up. I was like looking at my WNYC tote bag and I was like, if I can give to public radio, I can give to the church I go to mm-hmm. every single week and love a lot. Um, and then that Sunday, a friend came with me to mass uh, and I like felt this like nice like feeling of like ownership because I was like mm. it's you've been to the eleven fifteen mass at St Boniface mm-hmm. and it's beautiful so to like feel like you know I was giving back in a very small way but like that feeling of like this is my parish I'm like putting down roots here and contributing mm-hmm. you know a little bit was was good so like the consolation was in like one like this like guilt I felt plus the nudge from this listener plus the you know, confirmation I got from this experience on Sunday was all like God saying, you got to pay to play. Thanks. It's about time. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Olga? Um, I've also got a consolation this week. So that I think this is the first time in a while where we've all had consolations. Uh, Last week, America featured Elizabeth Acevedo, who's a spoken word poet. And she 
performed from her novel that's coming out next month and she did a lot of poetry reading and she was raised Catholic so she touched on those themes and what it means to kind of be a Latino in the church as, and what it means as, to be someone who has kind of grown away from it um, and I realized that this week it's my six year anniversary at America so I kind of started thinking about how America has changed in the time that I've been here and for a, often I kind of think about like the way I live my faith at work and the way I live it personally as two very separate things. Um, and just kind of thinking about that event and seeing someone who looks like the women in my family, who reminds me of me, seeing that in the America space just made me really kind of, I don't know, kind of see where God has been leading me in my life. I, I feel like I kind of lose sense of why I do the things that I do. And I feel like I am have no sense of where I'm going. But kind of seeing my two worlds come together felt really, really consoling and just sharing it with people at America just kind of really made me see the presence of God in all the stuff that we've done in the time that I've been here. So that's awesome. Congrats yeah. on your six year anniversary. That's I amazing. Know, I know. Shout out to LinkedIn for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we are going to be featuring Elizabeth Acevedo yes, on a future Jesuitical episode. Yeah. So our listeners will get to fall in love with her also. Yeah, so yeah, stay tuned. She's interview. awesome. Yeah, yeah, she's great. And there's a video of this event that America mm-hmm. hosted that you can find on americamagazine.org. Along with Olga's interview. Also that. We'll Full have Acevedo all that coverage. In, the show, in the show notes. <laughs> Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Engineering by Angelo Jesus Conta. Adverbs provided by John Doherty. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. And please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Anne-Marie Heidemann. Piglet Hedgehog, Andy Stolk, Rosane Credible, aka J.A. Poppins, Irish Lucy, Nat G. 2018, and Del Eka. And send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week. <laughs>